Recapping this week's best and worst in the world of hockey. This is All Things NHL. Happy Friday to all our listeners here on Elevation 5280 Sports Radio. I'm David A. Bradbury, and you're tuned in to All Things NHL. Time for us once again to jump straight into the news from the week we just had. It's finally February, and that means we're beginning to see the return of many exciting traditions in the hockey world. Let's bring you up to speed on all of them in this edition of your NHL News Wrap-Up. Tonight's leading development is a follow-up to a story we ran with several weeks ago. Evander Kane, the disaffected former winger for the San Jose Sharks, has officially inked a one-year deal with the Edmonton Oilers to the tune of $750,000, with a $625,000 signing bonus. Kane had previously been moved by the Sharks to their AHL affiliate, the San Jose Barracuda, because he had allegedly forged his COVID-19 vaccination card in violation of NHL rules. He then had his contract terminated entirely by the Sharks organization when he supposedly broke the AHL's COVID-19 international travel guidelines. Kane had also previously endured claims that he had been abusive to his partner and child and that he had illegally placed bets on his own games. Though neither of these investigations turned up any fruit in the end, they constituted a small part of a long chain of controversies that over time made the forward less and less attractive to the Sharks team. Now, Kane will embark on the next leg of his hockey adventure with the Oilers, having been cleared by the NHL of consequences arising from his most recent dispute due to insufficient evidence of wrongdoing. For now, Evander has been placed on Edmonton's third line, where he scored his first goal with the organization on February 2nd against the Washington Capitals. This is a great first impression for Kane to make, especially considering that the Oilers fan base is already split over whether number nine is a welcome presence. With any luck and a fair amount of offensive production, perhaps Kane will be granted another chance after all. In other news, many Vegas sports bettors this week that bet on one particular game went home with substantially lighter pockets, while a select few hit the jackpot. On Tuesday night, the struggling Arizona Coyotes overcame a 2-1 third-period deficit to defeat the Western Conference-leading Colorado Avalanche by a score of 3-2 in the shootout. In practical terms, this improved the Desert Dogs to 11-29-4 on the year, meaning they are still at last place in the West. At best for the Coyotes, this win was merely symbolic, as it broke an 18-game home winning streak for the Avs and immediately followed a January which saw Colorado go 15-0-1, tying an NHL record for most wins in a given month. However, this game did have more interesting ramifications for NHL gamblers, as Arizona's win was the biggest upset on the Vegas line in more than 16 years. Before the matchup began, Colorado was the negative 600 favorite, while the Coyotes were the plus 450 underdog. For those of us who are not very well versed in how sports betting works in Las Vegas, these numbers mean that a $600 winning bet on an avalanche victory would yield only $100 in return. On the other end, a $100 winning bet on a Coyotes win would yield $450 in return. In this match, Alex Galchenyuk had the only goal in the shootout, which secured the Arizona victory. Meanwhile, Coyotes netminder Scott Wedgwood earned himself the first star of the game, making 38 saves and finishing the night with a .950 save percentage. Turning our attention up north, the legendary Canadiens goaltender Carey Price has finally been heard from this season. The second half of 2021 was not kind to Price, having undergone knee surgery in late July to repair a torn meniscus. Carrying with it a 10-12 to week recovery timeline, this news would have been bad enough in and of itself if Price had also not started to deal with substance abuse issues, which caused him to enter the player assistance program 
a few months later. Though he does not appear to be back on the ice quite yet, Price held a press conference on Sunday from the Bell Center to update everyone on his status. Quote, I just want to say that I'm doing well. I know it's been a frustrating time for everybody. It's been one for me as well. In many ways, calling this year frustrating is an understatement for the Canadians. During the shortened 2021 season, the elite netminder carried Montreal on his back all the way to the Stanley Cup final. They lasted a total of five games before falling to the repeat champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Without Price in the 2021-22 season, the Montreal franchise is the worst in the NHL, currently standing at 23 points. It's safe to say that Carey Price has been a consistent bright spot and sometimes the only bright spot in the Canadiens organization for years now, and as such, fans are clamoring for his return. And while the timeline for said return is questionable, Price was quick to reassure his supporters that he is not going anywhere. Quote, Me and my family are very happy here in Montreal. We're settled in. This is our home. And finally, in the news this week, what a fantastic year it's been already for the former Bruin and first black NHL player, Willie O'Ree. On Monday, the U.S. Congress's bill to bestow upon the Canadian citizen its highest honor, the Congressional Gold Medal, was signed into law by President Joseph R. Biden. The announcement came just in time for Black History Month and only a few weeks after the Bruins raised his number 22 to the rafters. In addition to his brief NHL and long WHL career, O'Ree has served as the ambassador of the National Hockey League's Diversity Outreach Program, which focuses on encouraging players from underserved communities to participate in the game. O'Ree has also personally started almost 40 grassroots programs devoted to that same goal. In light of the news, Commissioner Bettman said on Tuesday, quote, A true pioneer and trailblazer, O'Ree can add another achievement to his list of accolades, the first hockey player to receive the Congressional Gold Medal. End quote. By receiving this honor, O'Ree joins the ranks of Thomas Edison, Martin Luther King Jr., and Jackie Robinson, amongst others. The bill passed through Congress and the Senate with bipartisan support, but as of now, no date has been set for the medal ceremony. That does it for this week's brief NHL news wrap-up. When we come back, there's a controversial story we covered during last week's broadcast, which needs an update, since it continues to unravel, and because we really didn't have enough time to do it justice last time. All things NHL on Elevation 5280 Sports Radio will return after a brief word from our sponsors. Stay with us. You're tuned in. Elevation 5280. All things NHL. Hey, Michael Spillin here for the Flash Hauler Driving App, a convenient app for on-demand furniture moving, vehicle towing, and courier service. If you like being out on the road, not having people breathing down your neck, pressuring you to get stuff done by deadlines and time limits, join our fleet on the Flash Hauler Driving App. Earn money by driving your pickup or van, be your own boss, making your own schedule, not to mention the feeling of helping truckless people getting their furniture moved to wherever they need. If vehicle towing is more in your arena, we provide that service as well. And if you don't have a truck or a van, no worries. The app enables you to do courier gigs. It's an easy process to sign up and get approved to be part of the Flash Hauler Hero team. Be proud of what you do while you do it at your convenience. So what are you waiting for? Grab your phone, download and install the Flash Hauler, that's F-L-A-S-H-O-L-R driver app, or visit our website, H-O-L-R-apps.com, getting it hauled in a flash. This segment on Elevation 5280 Sports is brought to you by the Flash Hauler driver app, helping people move in a flash. Bringing you another round of all things NHL on Elevation 5280 Sports Radio, I'm David A. Bradbury. Writing analytical pieces centered around sports is an art which provides plenty of opportunity to express one's opinion on a wide variety of topics. On this show alone, we've produced segments on the best player never to win a cup, on the Seattle Kraken's position relative to other expansion teams, and even on the effect Evander Kane's controversies may have on his future career. 
Every single week, this broadcast gives me the chance to project my own opinion on developments as they pertain to, well, all things NHL. But it's not every week that Hockey News gives me a reason to comment on social issues that are relevant to society more broadly. In fact, when I wrote a piece on the Chicago Blackhawks scandal in my very first show, I wrongly expected that it would be the only non-hockey hockey story I would cover for a while. But last month came the curious case of Jacob Panetta. And with all that has unfolded subsequently, I feel that I have no choice but to talk about it. For those of you who may have missed our last broadcast or who are wholly unfamiliar with the story, I'll go over the events in question again in a little bit more depth. On Saturday, January 22nd, the South Carolina Stingrays of the ECHL were in Florida to face off against the Jacksonville Icemen. After an overtime collision between Rays forward Andrew Chernichon and Iceman goalie Justin Kappelmaster, a scrap broke out between the two competing sides. Now, by his own recollection, it was at this time that Carolina D-man Jordan Subban tried to start a fight with offenseman Jacob Panetta before the two were separated by the referees. Panetta then proceeded to taunt Subban with an odd, shoulder-shrugging gesture, prompting Subban to cut sharply around the referee and punch Panetta several times in the face. Both Subban and Panetta were assessed major penalties for fighting, and as it was overtime, they were ushered off to their respective dressing rooms. Now, to the onlookers present who commented on the incident after the fact, none of this seemed out of the ordinary for a battle between two rivals. Even Panetta himself recalls that he had not seen anything inherently wrong in how things played out. And then something unusual happened. Through the PA system, the in-arena host for the Iceman announced that Panetta had received a game misconduct for a, quote, racial gesture. And upon encountering Subban in the tunnel on the way to the dressing room, the Iceman forward discovered that his actions had actually been interpreted as something far less nonchalant and far more racist. Jordan Subban took to Twitter that night, quote, tweeting a post from the Iceman, which said simply, quote, overtime began with a rough fight resulting in multiple penalties on both sides, end quote. Now, Subban, who is black, followed up with, quote, more like Panetta was too much of a coward to fight me. And as soon as I began to turn my back, he started making monkey gestures at me. There, fixed it. His brother, New Jersey Devils defenseman P.K. Subban, was quick to weigh in on the matter as well, tweeting things like, quote, you shouldn't be so quick to delete your Twitter or your Instagram account you will probably be able to play again, directing his comments to Panetta. He also said, quote, Your hometown, your family, and friends know you're a fraud. Even your own teammates wanted to see you get your clock cleaned. Following these statements, action by the ECHL was swift. The next day, the league announced that Panetta had been indefinitely suspended pending an investigation into the alleged racial incident. For his own part, Panetta released a Twitter video that Sunday claiming that the whole thing resulted from a giant misunderstanding. Rather than directing a racial gesture at Subban, Panetta said he had thrown a verbal taunt at him. Quote, you're only tough when the refs get involved. Followed by a, quote, tough guy, bodybuilder-like movement directed at him. Panetta also stated unequivocally, quote, racism has no place in the world and no place in the game we love. I want to express to everyone, especially Jordan, that my actions were not racially motivated at all, and I sincerely apologize for the pain and suffering and anger that my actions have caused him. End quote. This apology did not better his circumstances. Later that day, the Iceman released him from their lineup effective immediately. Iceman CEO Andy Kaufman said in a statement, quote, Though the investigation and review is ongoing at the league level, the Jacksonville Iceman will be releasing the player involved effective immediately, and will continue our mission of sharing our love of community and hockey. We apologize to anyone who is offended, and look forward to beginning the process of healing together as one. The league itself followed a few days later with their decision to suspend him for the rest of the season, which Panetta could reduce to a 38-game suspension, if he voluntarily participates in the NHL Player Inclusion Committee's training experience. 
ECHL Commissioner Ryan Krellen had this to say following the announcement, quote, Insensitive actions and gestures, regardless of intent, cannot be tolerated in our game. We all need to learn and grow from this incident and remain steadfast to further educating and advancing our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout the league. Panetta indicated thereafter that he intended to complete the diversity training, but that he was, quote, disappointed by the league's decision. And it seems that sentiment is shared by his teammates, who tweeted last Friday, quote, the way in which Jacob has been harassed, shamed, and threatened is truly not okay for him or anyone. These perceived gestures do not reflect or depict our friend and teammate we have grown to admire and respect today. End quote. Since January 28th, the situation has gradually cooled down, and that has allowed many hockey writers the chance to comment. And as I implied in the lead-up to this story, I'd now like to add my own two cents. Right off the bat, I want to state my strong and unwavering agreement with a sentiment that both the Subans and Panetta shared in their tweets. There is no place for racism in hockey. Indeed, the hockey community should strive to welcome everyone. And the fact that racially charged incidents have affected players in the past and will continue to affect them in the future is utterly shameful. Bullying and unequal treatment in the game of hockey on the basis of race, gender, sexuality, or any other immutable human characteristic should not be tolerated by anyone, anywhere. These are all ideas that I affirm with every moral fiber of my being. At the same time, I do not believe that there is any inherent contradiction between proclaiming these statements as true and asserting that what has happened to Jacob Panetta is unjust. Let's start by examining the original events which occurred between these two actors on January 22nd. I wholeheartedly believe that it is impossible to discern what Panetta's true intentions were, and I think that anyone who says otherwise lacks any foundation for their claims. If you've watched the videos which were taken at the game, the most that you'd be able to tell is that Panetta taunted Subban. And that's it. I've seen commenters on Twitter threads say that they can see him swinging his arms and hunching his back, which proves that he was imitating a monkey. And to be frank, I cannot tell what specifically they're looking at. The fact that many of them claim that they know for certain Panetta was acting in a racist manner is simply irresponsible, and I challenge any of my listeners to go look at that video and tell me that they know for sure what Panetta's intentions were. And furthermore, this view simply does not coincide well with Panetta's insistence that he has made the same gesture to white players in the past, a claim which his teammates have confirmed to be true. I quote, we have seen Jacob do this many times before to those not of color and can be seen doing so in our previous games. This according to a statement shared in a tweet by teammate Derek Lodermeyer and signed by the rest of the Icemen. Granted, it is still possible that Panetta's actions were intended racially, and if they were, then they are completely unacceptable. But these facts at the very least give us reason to challenge that narrative and to consider the possibility that Panetta is telling the truth. And before I go any further, in the interest of being fair to the other side of this altercation, I want to be clear that I do not blame Jordan Subban for going after Panetta in the heat of the moment, nor do I blame him for believing that Panetta's taunts were racist in nature. Genuine misunderstandings between people happen all the time, and given how disgusting these actions appeared to him, I even understand why he might not want to listen to Panetta after the game when he claims he tried to explain the incident to him. I cannot, however, defend his decision to smear Panetta on his Twitter account in front of an audience of thousands. If he intended to cancel Panetta with his tweet, then I'd say that his choice to incite online harassment against him with the possibility of ending his career over this incident was brazenly immoral and totally out of proportion to his alleged actions. And if that wasn't his intention, then this option was still rash and selected too quickly. Even worse was the resolve that brother P.K. Subban had to insist that Panetta was racist and call him a fraud in a pinned tweet to his one million followers. 
I simply cannot imagine sentencing someone to mass internet shame, bullying, and threats on the basis of one nondescript digital video. I wouldn't even think of doing so on the basis of my brother's word, personally, as the implications of tweeting would still be far too profound. Most of my criticism, however, is reserved not for the Subans or for the faceless mob on Twitter, but for the team in the league. With the accusations being as serious as they were, Panetta's suspension pending investigation was not necessarily beyond reason. What I believe was unreasonable was the Iceman's decision to drop him before the ECHL had finalized its findings. Making such a snap decision was not fair to their forward under the circumstances, and furthermore, it reeked less of giving Panetta the punishment his actions merited and more of damage control designed to stop the outrage. This analysis, in my opinion, is bolstered by the fact that both team president Bob Arablo and Panetta's own teammates thought the decision was made too swiftly, with the latter arguing that the accusations positively do not fit the person they came to know. What's even worse, the league's adjudication that Panetta's actions are unacceptable, quote, regardless of intent, is completely nonsensical and fails to justify his punishment. In fact, I have so many contentions with it that it's hard to know where to begin. Commissioner Carlin's inclusion of that phrase, regardless of intent, in his stated decision to punish Panetta seems to imply that at the very least, the ECHL found insufficient evidence to prove that Panetta was intentionally acting in a racist manner. They obviously didn't find this to be a pattern of discriminatory behavior unless Panetta's teammate's statement is dishonest in some way, and thus they are either speculating that he's a racist or admitting that they can't prove it. Either way, and even if this behavior was racially motivated, which again, I have my doubts, the full season suspension is completely out of proportion to the behavior that he exhibited. I mean, this kind of sentence is often not even meted out to players that cause their opponents serious injuries, which to me is a far more egregious offense than this. And Panetta's ability to reduce that sentence by participating in diversity training makes even less sense, as again, they were not able to prove that his behavior was intended racially. And for the record, I do not read Panetta's decision to opt in to said training as an admission of guilt. Rather, he seems like he'd take any action to accept the lesser sentence and get back to the game he loves as soon as possible. And finally, I've also seen many hockey journalists essentially support the league's actions, arguing that Panetta's intents do not matter, and moreover that Subban's actions were justified because his assumption that these taunts were racist is supported by past incidents of racial discrimination in professional hockey. And even though it makes me feel like a broken record, I say for the final time that this is not an adequate justification for Subban, the Iceman, or the League to seek the punitive action that it did against Panetta. I think that in an ideal scenario, the only thing that would determine his punishment is his own personal guilt. Since no one has yet been able to determine that guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, I can't help but feel that all that has happened to Jacob Panetta is entirely without justification. In closing, this entire story just makes me profoundly sad. For Panetta and the extreme punishment he's been issued, for the ECHL and the measures they've had to undergo to placate the mobs, and for the Iceman and the giant stain that has been placed on their organization. But the Panetta debacle makes me the most sad, I think, for Jordan Subban and for the targets of racist harassment more broadly. Because deep down, do I believe that Subban has been teased and or bullied in the past due to his being black? Yes, that is a distinct possibility. Do I further believe that incidents of racial taunting have happened and may continue to happen in the sport of hockey? Undoubtedly, yes. Regardless of their frequency, it seems to me undeniable that instances of racial discrimination do occur, and they must be met with disapproval and consequences. And yet I emphatically do not believe that this is one of those cases. And I also think that in time most people will realize, if they have not already, 
that Panetta's alleged crime did not justify his punishment. To the extent that that fact will make some people more skeptical of the reality of racial discrimination going forward, I find the handling of this case absolutely contemptible. As I said before, hockey is for everyone. I, just like everyone else, strive to make this sport a community where all are welcome, where occurrences of bullying are minimized, and where complaints of said behavior are handled promptly, and most importantly, fairly. Unfortunately, the case before us today indisputably counts as evidence that that last criterion is not being met. In my opinion, which I have formed to the best of my abilities with the available evidence, Jacob Panetta has been made a regrettable casualty in a culture war. And as long as we continue to reason that the intentions behind his actions matter less than the feelings they engendered, we guarantee not only that this war will be ongoing, but that the rift between players of different races will not be bridged. On the contrary, it will only continue to widen. We'll be back shortly with more All Things NHL. Don't go anywhere on Elevation 5280 Sports Radio. NFL Analysis Network is your one-stop source for coverage of all 32 teams. We provide in-depth analysis, news, and opinions about all things football. Since you're online anyway, check out NFLanalysis.net. Elevation 5280 Sports exclusive new teammate on the gridiron. I was right in my wheelhouse. Sports make the world go round. Well, at least our world. It's, it's just there's a lot of things that don't make sense to me, and, and I wish... I think the clarity is going to, to show itself when all this plays out, right? I mean, is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? You're leaving that option out there. Why not just keep it for another season? Hop on the wheelhouse with Matt Mascarenas and Michael Spillen live every Sunday morning from 8 to 10 Mountain, talking everything in the sports world from the week before and the upcoming week. Yeah, and I think they knew that they were not going to pick up his option even before and during the draft. And to reference kind of the two guys you were talking about that they did draft, here is Lloyd Cush. Barry, the the big center, the anchor of the LSU championship team this last college football season, Matt. They got him. I think this was a steal. Once again, The Wheelhouse, live with Matt and Michael, every Sunday morning from 8 to 10, only on Elevation5280sports.com. Elevating Elevate. Internet Sports Radio. This segment on Elevation 5280 Sports is brought to you by the NFL Analysis Network, your one-stop source for all 32 teams. Reporting on the most important hockey developments from across North America, this is All Things NHL on Elevation 5280 Sports Radio. I'm David A. Bradbury. I recognize that the segment you just listened to was a little longer and a lot more serious than you're accustomed to hearing from us. So rather than dive right into another analytical segment, I thought it might be better just to bring you a quick little update on the event that everyone will be talking about this weekend, the NHL All-Star Game. It seems to be an unfortunate and recurring theme with this show that the coverage we provide seems to go out of date very quickly. In my defense, I don't think that's fully our fault as COVID continues to make everything sports-related harder to follow, even now more than two years after it infected its first patient. But nevertheless, it was practically inevitable that the All-Star Game would have to undergo some last-minute changes, some of which are more exciting than others. Starting in the Metro Division, where it's sad to see one of the best stars of the show take his preemptive exit. Alex Ovechkin was all set to make his eighth All-Star appearance this year, captaining the division in which his very own Washington Capitals reside. But just this week, it was announced that the Great Eight has succumbed to COVID-19. Entering the NHL's COVID quarantine on Tuesday, Ovi missed the Caps matchup against the Oilers on Wednesday, and unfortunately will miss the 2022 All-Star Weekend. Captaincy of the Metropolitan Squad, unsurprisingly, will go to Claude Giroux. As we discussed in previous segments, Giroux is by no means having himself the best year ever with the Flyers, but this being his seventh All-Star appearance is a testament to his seniority, his leadership, and his dominance throughout the years. Taking Ovi's spot in the roster from the Capitals organization will be the controversial, scrappy center, Tom Wilson. And we thought we would be seeing Nazem Kadri take up the John Scott role this year. 
Wilson seems to be doing modestly well for the Capitals right now, having scored 30 points for them so far. But make no mistake, his tendency to go after some players likens him more to the Scots and the Torreses of the world rather than the Ovies and McDavid's. Still, it will be fun to see him play, if for no other reason than the novelty factor. Also joining Wilson from the Caps lineup will be Evgeny Kuznetsov, as it was announced Monday that the Rangers' Adam Fox had been placed on injured reserve and would subsequently skip the All-Star weekend. With 13 goals and 43 points, Kuznetsov is second only to Ovi for points production in Washington. Interestingly, the Central Division has also lost its captain, as the Avalanche's Nathan McKinnon underwent nose surgery late last week, and as such will not participate in this weekend's festivities. That leadership role has been passed to Joe Pavelski, the former Sharks captain who has 19 goals and 48 points this year for the Stars. Known for his surreal ability to tip the puck in front of the net, Pavelski's production has not substantially slowed down as he's gotten older, making him a surprise superstar for both the Sharks and Stars after being selected in the last round of the NHL draft. Taking McKinnon's spot in the lineup will be Roman Yossi of the Predators, who has not only been a point-per-game player this year, but who has also recently passed David Legwand for the most assists in Nashville franchise history. And that does it for changes to the NHL players we'll see competing this weekend. Barring last-minute complications, all of the rest of the players mentioned in our last story on this subject are the ones you'll see playing in the tournament on Sunday. But what about Saturday's skills competition? While it is customary to see the same men show off their moves the day before the games are played, it has also become customary to spice things up and add a few talented women to the games. You may remember back in 2019 when Kendall Coyne Schofield posted a 14.346 second lap in the fastest skater event. She finished less than a second behind that year's champion, Connor McDavid, and actually beat Clayton Keller of the Arizona Coyotes. Furthermore, the event was a huge success, eliciting cheers and chants of USA from the crowd at SAP Center. It's no wonder, then, that the National Hockey League has decided to welcome a few more of women's hockey's brightest stars to the All-Star Weekend this year. Here's all you need to know about them. NHL participants in the Fountain Face-Off and Accuracy Shooting competitions will be joined by Jocelyn Lamoureux-Davidson. The three-time Olympian got her start in the NCAA with the University of Minnesota and the University of North Dakota. And as a gopher, Lamoureux had more than 60 points on the season, good enough to make the WCHA all-women's team by year's end. She has earned most of her acclaim with USA Hockey, however, appearing in the 2010, 2014, and 2018 Winter Olympics. On all three occasions, her Team USA went to the final game against Team Canada, winning silver in 2010 and 2014, and finally winning gold in 2018. For the cherry on top, Lamoureux scored the game-winning goal that night in the shootout. She'll play in the accuracy shooter competition as one of the passers and will take a more active role in the fountain face-off alongside Jonathan Huberdeau, Claude Giroux, Jordan Eberle, Roman Yossi, Nick Suzuki, Zach Wierenski, and Mark Stone. This is an event new to the All-Star Weekend, and as it's being hosted in Las Vegas, it will actually take place outside amongst the Bellagio Fountains. The aim is to use pucks to shoot down five targets placed around the pool in as short a time as possible, all the while being sprayed with water. The contestants will stand on a tiny ice sheet in the middle of the fountain with little room to skate around. Sounds like a fun and completely non-serious affair, so naturally I will now join the ever-growing group who are taking bets on who will fall in the fountain. The other woman you'll see joining the fun on Saturday will be Manon Rume, a now-retired goaltender who has made a number of historic firsts in her time. Rume first started playing hockey in her youth, getting good enough by 1984 to become the first woman to play for a peewee men's team in the Quebec International Hockey Tournament. Even more impressively, in 1992, Rume tried out for the Tampa Bay Lightning, becoming the first woman ever to try out for an NHL team, and eventually the first woman to play for an NHL team. 
In a preseason exhibition matchup that year against the St. Louis Blues, Rume played one period and allowed two goals on nine shots. Her professional playing career spanned more than a dozen teams, as well as almost 20 years, and brought her a number of accomplishments. These include gold medals in the IIHF World Championships in 1992 and 94, as well as a silver Olympic medal in 1998 with Team Canada. This year, you're going to see her as a goaltender in the Breakaway Challenge, where she will split time with Wyatt Russell, an American actor and former men's ice hockey goaltender. Like Lamoureux, her role will be fairly superficial as most of the attention will be squarely focused on Kaprizov, Zagres, Hughes, Debrinkit, and Petrangelo, but that doesn't mean there will be no opportunities for her to shine. And you best believe I'll be sitting there waiting for the moment when she makes a spectacular save against an NHL star that will make everyone else's jaws drop straight to the floor. So with all that said, I sincerely hope that all of you enjoy the All-Star Weekend. Even if you're disappointed by the absence of some of your favorite players, just remember that all of them will be participating in much more exciting NHL action in the weeks to come. We're in the final stretch of the regular season, and in case you forgot, epic turnarounds can happen. Forget who's leading the pack right now. It's still anybody's cup to win. We'll be back in a moment with The Edge on all things NHL. Don't go anywhere on Elevation 5280 Sports Radio. You're tuned in. Elevation 5280. All things NHL. Missed anything during the week from our live shows? Maybe a hot take or hilarious exchange? A groundbreaking opinion or money-making prediction? The BLL is, I'm pretty sure, going to eliminate the MLL very shortly. If not this season, probably next season. Work on getting another receiver right now. Yeah, another offensive lineman. Joker was totally out the picture. Because when he's out there, he's like a sack of potatoes. No worries, we've got you covered. Head on over to Elevation5280Sports.com and click on the Shows tab or to Mixcloud and search Elevation 5280 Sports and all of our podcasts are right there at your fingertip. For those listeners who didn't feel that, we just had another one, baby. Elevation5280sports.com. Careful. It's tough to breathe up here. This segment on Elevation 5280 Sports is brought to you by Wix.com. Creating a website has never been easier. Welcome back, hockey fans. You're listening to All Things NHL on Elevation 5280 Sports Radio. I'm David A. Bradbury, and on last week's round of The Edge, I began by openly hoping that I would correctly predict the outcome of both games for the first time since starting this show. That didn't happen, and I was once again one for two. In the Panthers v. Rangers matchup, Florida did not in fact, start Sergei Bobrovsky as I thought would be wise for them. Starting netminder for them on this night was Spencer Knight, who went head-to-head with arguably the best goalie in the NHL right now in Igor Shosturkin. With a backup goalie in net and a tired lineup that had played in Columbus the night before, the Panthers surprisingly kept up with the Rangers for the entire 60 minutes, only to be quite dissatisfied with the outcome. Florida loses 5-2 to New York, at Madison Square Garden. As for the Ducks and Red Wings game, I called the offensive edge a toss-up, mostly because Detroit's lineup was deeper, but also on the off chance that Troy Terry was still out. And even with Terry playing, Anaheim's offense was absolutely schooled, being outshot by an almost 2-1 to margin. Nedeljkovic didn't even have to stand on his head, only having to make 14 saves in the Red Wings' victory. I'm honestly surprised this game needed extra hockey for Detroit to win it, but that's the way it played out. Red Wings win this one over the Ducks, 2-1 in overtime. In any case, perhaps this week will be my first predictions sweep. So without further ado, let's look ahead to next week's slate of games to find out who has the edge. In our first game this week, the Carolina Hurricanes will be in Ontario on Monday night to face the new and improved Toronto Maple Leafs. When two Eastern Conference powerhouses continue to dominate their opponents, it's difficult not to cover them again and again, and it's even harder to leave them alone 
when they're going to be facing each other. The host Maple Leafs have found a success in the regular season this year that they haven't seen in quite some time. It's tempting to conclude that their season has gone downhill slightly since they were number one in the league at the end of last year, but I think the more likely explanation for their drop in the standings is that the Atlantic Division is the most difficult to play in throughout the National Hockey League. When you belong in a group that includes the Florida Panthers, Tampa Bay Lightning, and Boston Bruins, among others, coming in third with a firm grasp on a playoff spot is not bad at all. Contributing to their success now, as opposed to seasons past, is a resurgence on defense combined with an all-star goalie. The Leafs have long had Austin Matthews, John Tavares, William Nylander, and Mitch Marner ensuring their power on offense, but in 2022, their back-end talent in TJ Brody, Travis Dermott, Jake Muzzin, and of course Morgan Riley have actually been fairly effective at eliminating chances. Riley has 33 assists this year, proving his offensive abilities, and both he, Brody, and Hall have double-digit plus-minus numbers a testament to how often they keep pucks out of their own net. And nothing more needs to be said about the brick wall that is Jack Campbell, who will be playing in the All-Star game the weekend before. On this night, all these stars will have their hands full with the Canes. Austin Matthews is tough to beat in terms of goal-scoring ability, but Carolina can make up for that with multiple players who will be at their disposal. Aho, Savechnikov, Teravainen, Trocek, Niederreiter, all of whom have goals and plus-minus stats over 10. And while we're bringing up plus-minus, it's worth noting that only three Carolina players are currently in the negative on that front, and they're all at just negative one. The Hurricanes' goal differential is fierce, propelled no doubt by the former Leafs netminder Frederick Anderson, who is currently having himself a career year. As we've said in previous broadcasts, Carolina has left behind their mediocre ways. They're now a young, exciting organization that has attracted so much top-end talent in all areas of the ice. With 64 points in just 42 games, Carolina beats out the Rangers, Penguins, and Capitals for top spot in the Metro. The best team in all of Canada is poised to take on a division leader. It'll be close, but who's coming out on top? in this one. Offensively, we're dealing with two absolutely stacked teams and depth to spare. The question is then, who has the better talent? And I don't think it's controversial to say that that title goes to the Leafs. Not only do they have so many players to fear, but their offensive output has been even greater than the Canes, and they've done that in a division which is arguably even tougher. That's not a knock on Carolina, granted and I expect them to put up a fight, giving Campbell a run for his money. But the Leafs' offense has been elite for years now, and this squad is no exception. The edge on the front end unquestionably goes to them, just as the defensive edge, unquestionably, goes to Carolina. Look, I mentioned how the Toronto defense has been better than it has been, and that's true. They've still got issues, though, and this may not be immediately apparent, as with a goals against average around 2.6, they're far from the worst team in the league in terms of getting scored upon. But that success falls largely on the shoulders of Campbell, whose anticipated save percentage relative to the chances he faces is outmatched only by Igor Shesterkin of the Rangers. If you look deeper, the problems are more apparent, with many more players than the Canes in the negative, stats-wise. They've also given up 111 total goals this season, good enough for the top five in the league, but in this case, they're facing the team that gives up the fewest total goals. Toronto's defense is improving, but Carolina's is just better. In net, the advantage is extremely difficult to call. Frederick Anderson's goals against hovers around two, and I have every reason to believe that he will play in this match, even with a game in Ottawa coming up the next night. Unfortunately, this is yet another case of both teams being good, but one being pretty firmly better. Jack Campbell has been lights out for the Leafs despite their lapses on defense, and like I said earlier, you can thank him for keeping the Leafs in it most nights. Despite some more recent struggles, I'm calling this edge for Toronto. And finally, the advantage on special teams goes to the Leafs as well. It's going to take everything Toronto's power play unit has got to get past the Canes' kill, which is near top of the league, 
but they are more than capable of doing that. A 30.5% power play is not at all surprising considering the talent at their disposal, and for a boost, they have not allowed any shorthanded goals yet this year. The Canes, for their part, have a great penalty kill, but they also go to the box a lot, and the Leafs just don't as much. Maybe they'll shut down the majority of chances, but the Toronto unit doesn't need many before they'll inevitably bury a chance. Carolina is going to need to stay disciplined here, lest they play right into the hands of their opponents. And so, I think in this one, the points and standings are largely deceptive, possibly due to the fact that the Leafs seem to play in a more competitive division. The fact of the matter is that Toronto has a standout offense, goalie, and special teams unit that will give Carolina the shakes. Top shooters for the Maple Leafs are more than capable of getting through Anderson and the Canes' defense, and even when their own back end falls apart, they've got one of the best goalies in the league defending their net. None of this is to say that the outcome here is a done deal, but with all things considered, my money is on a Toronto victory. Watch the match for yourself on ESPN Plus at 7 p.m. Eastern. And finally this week, we've got the Desert Dogs of Arizona making the trip to the newest Western rival in the Seattle Kraken on Wednesday. I'm sure that many of you would not be inclined to care about this game at first glance, and to be honest, neither would I. On previous rounds of The Edge, we've tended to focus on some of the best teams in the league, or at the very least, teams that have demonstrated potential to play at the top level in the near future. Nevertheless, I think it's important to highlight alternate storylines of struggling teams looking to change the narrative and hopefully turn themselves around. These are undoubtedly two such teams. On the one end, we have the Seattle Kraken. You may remember back in our very first episode when we argued that the expectations placed upon the Kraken were unfairly inflated by the successes of the Vegas Golden Knights, and that in reality their outcomes have been fairly average by the standard of most expansion teams. While I stand by that analysis, Seattle has still had their struggles, the least of which is that they currently have five players on the injured list. While Jared McCann leads the club with a modest 18 goals, it's really all downhill from there, and the Kraken do not even boast one player who's scored more than 30 points. As for goaltending, who boy, do they need some adjustments. With Grubauer out, the Kraken has to rely on Chris Dredger right now, and in 10 games, he's posted a .895 save percentage and 3.18 goals against. The Kraken really don't have much going for them right now other than perseverance and grit, which they showed off recently in wins against the Pens and Panthers, as well as a hard-fought loss to the Rangers. No doubt they're bad, but they're showing they've got some potential. Similarly, the Coyotes have hardly ever seen tougher times. They're the worst in the West with hardly anything going for them on offense or defense. Maybe they have slightly more promise in their goaltenders, but even so, we're not talking about netminders that a team can rely on to stop shots in their time of need. And on a personal note, Arizona soon plans to move from their longtime home at Gila River Arena, capacity 18,300, to ASU's new sports complex, Capacity approximately 5,000. This news story gave the Bruins' Brad Marchand the perfect opportunity to dunk on them, saying that they probably won't sell out that new arena either. So there aren't many positives in Glendale right now, but at least there's nowhere to go but up. Plus, they'll be taking on a comparable opponent with their own problems. So while neither of them are anything to sneeze at compared to the rest of the league, there's a chance that we could see some excitement between them. Who's got the edge in this one? Firstly, there's a temptation to look at Clayton Keller and Phil Kessel's play and give the offensive advantage to Arizona, but just like other teams we've covered in the weeks past, once you leave those two players behind, the points drop-off is pretty swift. The Coyotes have a lot of players that can dish the puck, but not a lot that have been able to put it in the back of the net. The Kraken do not share that problem at least not to the same degree, as McCann, Eberle, Gord, Donato, and Tanev all have goal totals around 10. This helps explain how the goals they score on the average night are higher than Arizona's, and thus the edge up front goes to the Kraken. And somehow, Arizona's defense is even more embarrassing than their offense. 
Despite having stronger numbers in net in general, the Coyotes somehow managed to allow more goals on average per night. And that's because Seattle can actually prevent shots from getting to the net, whereas Arizona's shots against in most games can approach 40. It hardly even matters that their goal and shot differentials are better. The Kraken get this advantage regardless. The only edge I can stand to give to the Coyotes is in net. The Kraken don't need better play from their netminders. They need new netminders. Whereas Arizona has things to build on in Vimelka and Wedgwood. And the fact that Vimelka actually has a shutout is just one more boost to his credit. And finally... Pay no attention to special teams here. The power plays are awful. The penalty kills are awful. These teams take way too many penalties. Neither of them will have the advantage here. So look, the interest in this game is not in the talent, obviously. It's in the narrative. We have two clubs that will look to improve in the years to come. And based just on this matchup, it's more likely that the Seattle Kraken are on the up and up. They're the ones I expect who will take this game against the Coyotes as proof that things... Well, they can always get worse. Catch the action for yourself Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. And on that note, it's time to wrap things up for this week's show. Thank you so much once again to all of our listeners for tuning in, and be sure to join us next week for all the action you may have missed from around the league. Broadcasting to you from our home studio in Northern California, I've been David A. Bradbury, and as of now, you're caught up on all things NHL. Showbiz, is this really worth fighting for? Yeah, when I'm selling out to Streaming live on your computer and on your smartphone. Check out Elevation5280sports.com for all the information you need. Download the apps, put in the link, and you're good to go on the go. Elevation5280sports.com. Careful, it's tough to breathe up here.